You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, all right. Even managed to get my microphone turned on. You're welcome, Jacob. (laughs) All right, let's, y'all that are out in the lobby, come hither. Let's get hither to come, something like that. Let's get a rolling on this thing. Uh, Glad to have you all here. (laughs) Exactly, right like that. Um, Yeah, so we're going to get going here. And our series we are in is the book of Philippians. As you know, if you've been here, if you're new and you haven't been here, we're in the book of Philippians. Um, So, huh? Philippians. It's the book of Philippians. Yeah, there you go. Jeez, we're off to a rolling start here. Perfect. Uh, so we're in the third week of this series, and we're, we're doing the, the whole letter to the Philippians in six weeks, if I remember correctly. And this is the third of the six. So we're right kind of smack dab in the middle. This is great. The first week, we started off talking about the Messiah poem, which falls in the middle of chapter two, uh, chapter two, verses five through 11. Now, this Messiah poem that Paul is using is central to the entire letter. And the entire letter is a bunch of vignettes that tie back, and all the themes tie back into this central Messiah poem. We talked about that. If you missed that sermon, you can go check it out on the podcast. And then Rob followed it up last week by going back to the beginning of the book, and then we started working our way through there. And Rob talked about the greeting, and Paul was in prison, and he left it off last week with his implication of if joy is our destination, humility is the, was it, wait, no, was it humility is the destination and joy is the vehicle that we go in? That, yeah, so I was trying to flip that. If humility is the destination, joy is the vehicle that we're going to get there in, right? And joy specifically through honest worship. And Rob left it off there. And so today we're going to pick it up in chapter one, verses 27 through 30. We're going to pick it up here. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that is from God." For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. All right. Now, we remember that Philippi is a very heavily Roman city, right? Remember this? And, and there's, there's not a ton of Jewish population there. It's mainly just Greco-Roman and a lot of Roman worship. And uh, I think Rob mentioned last week that there was a, a lot of soldiers ended up retiring in this city, um, which they were kind of the upper echelons, if you will. Okay? But despite that, Paul is still throwing in some Old Testament references, even though most of the believers in Philippi are not going to be, they didn't grow up Jewish. Um, We mentioned in footnotes a couple weeks ago that it could have been that there was less than 10 male Jewish guys there um, because that's how many you needed to have a synagogue, and Philippi didn't have a synagogue. So it could have been even less than 10 
Jew, Jewish males in the city. Um, so not a heavily Jewish area, but Paul is still dropping little Jewish references like this one where he's referring back to Deuteronomy 31:27. So when I read this, be listening for comparisons for what we just heard. For I know how rebellious, this is Moses talking to the Israelites. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am yet alive with you, with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more so after my death when I'm gone? See, now, Paul had just said, whether I come and see you or whether I'm absent, right? At the beginning there, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, whether I'm here or I'm not, still be living your life in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. And he's flipping around what Moses said to the people there, right? Because Moses was constantly like, this, there was this, this tension of like Moses would tell the people to do something and then he'd turn his back and then they'd like go build a golden calf or something, right? Like they weren't necessarily, they were like a little impetuous, a little, I imagine them as teenagers, the Israelites at that point. They're kind of this angsty teenage group. Um, a lot of smells like teen spirit. But Paul flips this around and says like he's encouraging the church in Philippi because the... Uh, well, one, this book is full of joy, and so he's encouraging them again because they're apparently doing a great job of this, and he's, he's saying, keep on keeping on here, right? And then the next thing that I want to pull out of this passage here is the side-by-side bit, right? He says that, uh, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side-by-side. Now, if we remember when we went through the book of Acts, there was all this stuff where he kept mentioning uh, one accord, right? All the people were of one accord. They were of one mind, right? They were unified. And every time that the people were unified, every time that they were of one accord, the Spirit would show up and do some crazy awesome stuff. And so I think he's encouraging them, keep doing this. Keeps, you have to stay unified, okay? And we're going to see this throughout the passages today. Then the last bit of this, he he mentions this same conflict, right? Uh, That you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Paul is writing this in prison in Rome. He's he's awaiting trial. This is towards the end end of his life when he writes this letter, that they have this pegged. Um. And he's calling back to Acts 16, which we talked about in care groups this week. That was the, that was the curriculum last, this last week. We talked about Paul and Silas being locked up in Philippi because when they were there, they were preaching, right? And then there was this slave girl and there was a demon in her and she was shouting and yelling and being just annoying. And then Paul just finally had enough and he cast the demon out. Well, the problem was that slave girl was making money for her owners because the demon was allowing her to divine stuff. Okay? So they were mad, and then they threw Paul and Silas in jail, and then there was an earthquake, and that whole story in, in 16 that you can go read, right? But this is, 
Paul was running up against the status quo when he was there. There was some conflict there, obviously, with the status quo with the Romans. And he's saying, you guys still have this conflict because there's still going to be the normal Greco-Roman worship. There's going to be all the worship of all the gods that they had. And there was also probably quite a bit of emperor worship going on, right? And Paul is saying, this is your, like, even though you're coming up against this, this is the same conflict I ran into, this is the same conflict you're dealing with, and I'm still dealing with this in Rome. He's giving them a little unity there. This was probably the main struggle for them because there wasn't a lot of like Jewish going on there because we see in a lot of the, the New Testament with the new church, there was the tension between the Jews and the new Christians of like, what do we do with the Gentiles coming in and all of this? And then there was the tension between the Roman Empire and the new Christians and they're like, what do we do with these people, right? Well, you didn't have a lot of the Jewish, so you had a lot of the Roman in this area. This was their main conflict was Caesar is Lord. And so what I'm left with in this first passage, this first section here, the end of chapter one, is what is letting your manner of life be worthy? Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does that look like? What does that look like for them? What does that look like for us? Well, good news, he continues in chapter two and he explains. So if we go to chapter two, verses one through four. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. He's calling this out again, same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Calling this out again, one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is what it looks like to let your life be worthy, to live your life in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. Okay? Now, if you're like me, when you read this, there's a lot of kind of jumbled words and phraseology because we're going from one language to another one. And so you might be like, mm, that's really, you got to chew on it a little bit there, right? Well, you're welcome. I pre-chewed it this week. That sounds disgusting. I'm never going to say that again. But uh, we've pre, pre-thought about this. Uh, and I like to go through and do a bunch of different translations and lay them on top of each other. Like if you imagine the old hymns where we do the, like the overlays and then throw it up on a screen. I do that with the, ter- with the translations. And then it gives me a better image of what's actually going on. Now, this is one that I really like for this passage. It's out of the message, which is helpful for this sort of thing, not helpful for some in-depth study. Um, But I do like what Eugene Peterson does for this stuff. So in the message, it says, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, any difference, if being in community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care then do me a favor. Do me this solid. (laughs) Agree with each other. Love one another. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't be obsessed. uh, Sorry. Uh, Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. 
This is what it looks like to live your life in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. And for this, it looks like, it looks like there's a lot of unity. So if you're living in unity with people, if you're in community and you're all getting along in one accord, right? You're figuring out how to put up with your neighbor that's driving you nuts by weed whacking at 6 a.m., right? If you're figuring out how to live in unity with these people, and then you're also living in humility, putting yourself aside long enough to lend a helping hand. This is what it looks like to live a life that's worthy of the gospel, okay? This is all about humility. And we've seen, like, humility and joy are these two giant themes that keep popping up. And this, is, this passage is all about the humility, it's like, you live this out with humility. This reminds me, uh, this reminds me of when I was in high school, our, our youth trips during the summer. We didn't go to a normal camp. We went to a camp that was all on houseboats, which is awesome. And I will rant about this till the day I die because it's the best camp on the planet of the earth. Uh, but we would go to this houseboat, and the first year we went, there was 13 students, two adults, and then we had three leaders from the camp. So we had 18 of us my math's correct, 18 of us on this one boat living for a week. We'd sleep on top of the boat. It's pretty jam-packed. There wasn't a lot of room, right? And our youth pastor would start off the week. We'd be sitting in Tahoe because we'd camp there on the way down. And that first night, we'd eat pizza. We'd jump in the lake. I puked. And then we were all sitting around the campfire. And, uh, and Terry would, would explain the concept for the week. And he's like, this is how this week goes. You're going to... I want you guys, every single one of us is going to spend the entire week serving every other person, okay? Don't, don't think about how do I make my week great. Think how do I make everybody else's week great? And you're like, well, that sounds like a lot of work. I got to look out for 17 people now, right? Meanwhile, I could just look out for myself. But when you think about it, when you think about this, you now have 17 people that are all looking out for you too, and that's a whole lot better than I can do as a single person looking out just for myself. 17 people looking out for me, I got myself covered. One of them sounds a whole lot better, right? So this is what pops up in my mind when he's talking about this. But then Paul, Paul takes the Messiah poem, because right, right after this, the Messiah poem happens. And Paul says, this is the perfect example this walking out, this humility, like this is what that should really look like. And this is why we, we're going to live this way. So let's read, that, let's read that Messiah poem again here. 2 verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, like Adam, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. If you remember, we talked about this that first week 
If you didn't, if you didn't catch this, make sure you go listen to it. But just a quick summation, like you've got this like humility right at the beginning, this example of deity becoming man even unto death. And then he's exalted because of it, joy at the end, humility and joy. This is where the poem falls in the letter because Paul needs to express, like, this is where, we're, this is where I'm coming up with this. He's, he's citing his reference. Jesus is his reference. This is why we need to live this way, that we're going to put, a, put aside myself long enough to lend a helping hand. This is why, because Christ did this. This is why it falls right there. Paul is giving the perfect example of humility. And he continues on with what this all means, okay? Verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, that should sound a little bit like the Deuteronomy thing, work out your salvation, with, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So fear and trembling. Let's talk about this for a second. Because I, th- I know for me, growing up, it's really easy to get this idea of an angry, vengeful God that's a big, angry, mean God with a, a magnifying glass and we're all just a bunch of little ants, right? And, and we, we need to be scared of him. And, and that's, you know, we, fear and trembling. That's not, quite, that's not quite what they're going for here. Fear and trembling, respect, reverence, admiration, dedication, okay? This is, it's more of this and less of like I'm scared of you and more of I admire you and I show reverence to you because of how great you are, right? This is a healthy respect. We'll probably talk about this more in footnotes because this is a fun conversation to kind of pull apart. Um, and it'd be more fun with more people, so we'll probably talk about it a little bit there. But the point, if you're going to take away a point from this, the point I want you to take away is if you're going to tremble, do it before God, right? If you're going to have fear and trembling, do it before God and not before your opponents on this earth. Because Paul's, Paul's phrasing this up like you've, you've got this, you've got the opponents, right? The, the conflict that he's referring to in that first bit the Romans, the opponents of the city, anything that you're coming up against in your walk. And if, if I'm going to give them, if I'm, if I'm fear and trembling over my opponents, I'm giving them more reverence than I'm giving God, is what I would say there. So if you're going to tremble, tremble before God and do not tremble before your opponents because your God is a whole lot bigger than anything you'll face on this planet. This, this ties in a little bit with what we're talking about in care groups this week. We're going we're gonna to look at the story of uh, Jericho. The walls come tumbling down and the French peas and the slushies. Wait, oh, that's VeggieTales. My bad. Um, go study before care group with the VeggieTales. But um, we're going we're gonna to look at this. And there's, there's a little bit of a comparison there of this fear and trembling and, and showing, like, is this God's plan or is this my plan, Right? And that's what we see in this next bit here, this, uh, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working out your salvation. God is work- he has this plan. He's carrying out this plan, okay? 
It is God's battle plan, and it's a good one. It's not ours. Thank goodness. If I was in charge, it'd be so bad. Thus, it is not something that we do. It's not, it's not something that we are in charge of. We're just, we just get to carry it out. Okay? So when he says work out your own salvation, it's probably a little bit more like act out your own salvation. Live out your own salvation. Walk out your own salvation. Live your life in a manner that shows that salvation that is worthy of the gospel. Now, what is our part? Would be the next question for me. What is our part? How do we work that out? Good news, Paul, Paul answers that. 14 through 18. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain." Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. At the end there, that, that rejoicing thing, that I'm, I'm being poured out as a, on, he's being poured out as an offering and I'm a sacrificial offering. I don't know if that sounds rejoice worthy. Like, that doesn't sound pleasant. Um, I know what happens to the offering. It gets killed, and then it gets burnt. I mean, I get burnt when I go out in the sun, but that's a little different, right? And even that's not joyful. So, mm, I don't know about that. But right at the top, he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. This is how we, this is how we carry out our work. This is how we carry out, we live our lives in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. We do it without grumbling, and we do it without disputing. Now, this grumbling thing should remind you a little bit probably of Sinai, right? Or just of the Israelites in general. Remember the angsty teenager Israelites that are always grumbling and complaining and like, why, why, why? Can't we go back to Egypt? It was so much nicer there, right? Now, yeah, not a lot of Jewish people but when Paul and Silas were there, I guarantee you they started with one of those stories. They probably started with the creation story, and then they probably moved right to Sinai, and they were like, let me tell you about Passover, because that's kind of a big deal for them. Because in order to understand Jesus, we kind of have to have a little bit of context in the Old Testament, right? And that would be no different for the early believers in the church in Philippi. So I have to believe that Paul and Silas, when they were spending time there, that they were telling them stories of the Israelites, that they were telling them about Moshe, Moses, and Sinai, and all of this stuff, and probably tying that to Passover, like we did in Acts, right? And all of this stuff, and the grumbling. So they're probably, bells might be going off for some of them, and I know they're going off for me. We need to do better than they did. We need to do this. There's a proper way to do this, and it is not to be an angsty teenager and gripe and complain and moan all the time about stuff. Okay? We need to walk out our lives without grumbling. We also need to do it without disputing. Okay? This is another call to unity. 
This is big. And I, you know, until I started going through this passage this week, I didn't realize how often this kept coming up. This is a big theme here in this section. He's like, you got to get together. You got to get together. You have to be of one accord. You have to be of the same mind. You have to come together. You have to work as a team. Because if you're not binding together as a team, then Rome's probably going to crush you. Even in little Philippi. This is the, the one accord unity again. No grumbling, no disputing. And on top of that, because that wasn't easy enough, we have to do that in the midst of a broken and twisted generation. That's what he says to them. You, disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, that you're going to look great. You are going to be perfectly blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst, in the midst of a crooked and broken generation. Okay? So we have to do this without, I have to live out my life without grumbling, without complaining, without dividing myself from people. And I have to do that in the midst of the mess. I don't get to just, like, I'm going to hide over here in my little Christendom and we're going to be fine hiding off in the corner. Like, that's not how it works. We have to be in the mess. We have to be in the twisted brokenness. And that doesn't matter how, what our world looks like, what our country looks like, what our city looks like, or what our household looks like. That last one, I didn't want to say, because that one, that one just kind of popped out when I was practicing, and I was like, oh, I didn't want to put that one in there, because I know, like, my family, and we're probably the only family that's like this, but we've got a little bit of, like, there's some drama and some tension and some like aunts and uncles that don't get along and, you know, cousins. And we're like, you know, there's a little bit of, you know, headbutting. We're probably the only one. So I know y'all don't have to worry about that at all. Um, but no matter what that looks like, we have to live this out in the midst of that. Without grumbling. Without division. Without disputing. And, it, and if, by some blessed occurrence, you, you don't have this going on in your life, I would encourage you, ask yourself, what is my on, how often does my online presence or just my day-to-day -day, like, interchanges with people shine like a light? Because he says if you're doing this, if you're doing it without grumbling, without, without disputing in the midst of all this, you're going to shine like a light to a broken world. And if you are shining like a light to a broken world, well, then I need you to disciple me. And if, if you're, you're like, oh, maybe sometimes I'm not doing that, then roll back to step one. No grumbling, no disputing in the midst of it, right? This is what that looks like. This is how we, this is how we live our manner, live our lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. This last thing that we want to talk about is this drink offering, a drink offering is poured out, so you take some wine, and there's like a specific like amount that you're supposed to do depending on what the offering is, and most of the time it's poured out onto a burnt offering, right? So you got the, uh, the lamb that is just like smoldering, and you pour some wine over the top of it, and if you've ever done any barbecuing or anything like this or put out a fire, then you know that creates a ton of smoke, 
right? And this is when they're doing burnt offerings, the smoke would rise up, and it's meant to be a pleasing aroma to God. And this totally makes sense because God is up high, so then we're going to send the smoke up high. To put yourself in ancient times, like that makes logical sense. That's what I would do. And the more smoke, the better. So Paul's comparing himself to this drink offering, this additional offering on top of their sacrifice. A couple things that you could probably pull from this. If that sacrificial offering is not burning, then the drink offering is not going to create much smoke, is it? Hmm. So they're to live their lives as an offering. Otherwise, what Paul did probably isn't worth much good. Something maybe to be pulled out of that. The other thing that should probably remind us is there's somebody else that poured out his life as a drink offering. Simmer on that for a moment while we recap. So from the top of this, we're going to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. This is where we started. We're going to live our lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And that looks like that looks like coming together. That looks like unity. That looks like one accord. That looks like living out without dissension. And showing humility like Christ. Right? So to live our lives in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, we're going to come together and we are all going to live in humility. We're going to take that bar that Christ set for humility and we're going to aspire to that. We're going to chase after that. And what that leads to When we do that, what that leads to is shining like a light to a broken world. That sounds pretty cool. So I think that's my implication for today. My implication is that you are a beacon of hope to the world, which there was a little bit of joy in this passage, but that right there, that sounds like something to be really stinking joyful about. Because how cool is that? You are a light to the broken world. You are a beacon of hope to everyone out there who doesn't know Christ. You are a beacon of hope saying, hey, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Whether or not you're saying it verbally, but if we walk this out, this is what we become. And the application for this, how you go about doing this, is you go about every day showing the humility of Christ in everything that you do. I go about putting myself aside long enough to lend a helping hand. Everything that he's talking about here is humility, and this is where it starts. Every single day, every week, every hour, every decision we make, we should chase after and say, How can I be more like Christ? How can I be more humble like Christ? How can I aspire to show that kind of humility and care for people like that? And if we do that, if we walk that out, we become a beacon of hope to a broken world. And that's good news. So we're going to move into our time of communion now. And when Paul calls himself a drink offering, it should immediately remind us of Christ because Christ called himself that on the night that he was betrayed. So when we go into communion, we're reminding ourselves again, like we do every week here, we're reminding ourselves again of that sacrifice. So here at Mission Ridge, we have an open table, which means that 
If you're a follower of Christ, Jesus is your Lord and Savior, we'd love to have you join us for communion. What we do is we come up, we grab the elements, the juice, the matzah bread, take them back to your seat, and then we're going to all go together and we'll take communion all together here at the end. So go ahead and come forward and grab those. So the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember him. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, a drink offering poured out for you. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. Just remember him. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for the example of your son. That he would show such humility to go from divine to incarnate and then to die a humiliating death for us. Lord, thank you for that example. And we exalt him with you. Lord, as we go about our lives, as we go about our day-to-day, help us to constantly be reminded of what that looks like. Help us to be reminded that we need to seek after you, that we need to chase after that example, to live our lives in a way that would glorify what you have done, that would live up to the sacrifice that you have made, to the love that you have shown for us. Lord, we thank you for that. We love you. We praise you. Say this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, 
You can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.